Welcome to AB3 Speaks with Monica Antakia, the podcast on academic business and branding, where we talk about planning, building, running, and growing a business as Black academic women who want to share their knowledge with the world. I'm Takia Nur Amin, academic success strategist, dance scholar, and lover of all things luxury. I'm Monica A. Coleman, professor, religious leader, and mom to an active growing kid. We have over 25 years combined experience of sharing our academic knowledge beyond the classroom, and we're telling you all the things we wish someone had told us. We will share our values-led ways of monetizing your advanced education in today's global marketplace and highlight Black academic women who are doing this with excellence and flair. So stay hydrated, make sure you have something to write on and write with, because class is in session. In this episode, we want to talk about the biggest question we see from Black academic women, and we see it everywhere. We see it on Facebook. We see it on Twitter. When we are working with different people in the brain trust, this is usually one of the first questions that we hear, and it's an important one, and is, what do I charge? Where do I start with pricing? I've received this invitation. Is this the right amount? Or which they asked me what my fee is, what should it be? So we're going to talk a lot about that today, because that might be the question that you have as well. Everybody knows that over here at AB3, we don't start in this place, right? We don't start pricing first or thinking about product first. Our commitment is always to ensuring that the folks who work with us and who listen to us and are interested in our methods understand that it's necessary to lead from your values. Let your values be what animates your work in the world. What's important to you? What are your principles? What are those core commitments that you hold as a person? And how can you operationalize that through your business or your entrepreneurial endeavor? So we've talked a lot this season about values. At the same time, if we're going to shift gears and start to talk about pricing, I really believe that any useful conversation around pricing starts with you thinking first about your mindset. You have to have a mindset for monetizing your knowledge. And this might be a particular hurdle for women of color academics in general and Black women academics in particular, because women have often been taught to devalue our own knowledge, that what we know matters less, that what we know, um, even if we are erudite scholars in our disciplines somehow matters less than if the same information was coming from a male or male-identified scholar. Um, We're often taught that as academics, what we know and what we know how to do is something that we should just give away, especially if you come from a community where access to higher education has been held back or limited and you've been positioned as one of the lucky ones, one of the few who managed to get out, then often you get this message that your job is to come back and give what you know to everyone. Just give it away. And so thinking about attaching a dollar amount to what you know or what you know how to do can be really uncomfortable if you come from that kind of culture, community, or messaging. Um, It might also be a challenge just in the sense that the particular populations that you want to serve through your business or your entrepreneurial endeavors might not have the access to capital to pay you. Okay, we'll talk about how to navigate that in just a little bit, but it's important to know that 
there are ways of still having a successful business, even if the community you want to serve doesn't necessarily have the money to pay you directly for your services. But all of those things can be in the pot. It might also be a challenge if you come from a particular religious or spiritual background where um, money has been positioned as a bad thing or a negative thing or as something to be watchful of. And so having a mindset where you say, what I know matters, what I know can increase my financial bottom line and help me create the financial stability that I want for myself, um, that it's okay for me to charge people in the marketplace for what I know and what I know how to do. That might be a big shift, but it's necessary if you're going to do this work at the intersection of entrepreneurship and higher education. And, you know, I think there's this thing that academia does, too, where they have a practice of giving knowledge away. We go to conferences and share our best and newest ideas, either for free or we pay to go to the conferences. We pay to register for the conferences and we're not making any money. And it's not just us. This is all academics, right? We're out here sharing fresh, new, compelling ideas either for free or at a cost. So even in the academic world, I think generally is not used this idea that you would not share knowledge freely. Often, even if we are approached with an opportunity to speak or write or teach or something in that regard at the intersection of our knowledge and the work that we do in our careers, sometimes we just don't ask. We don't ask if there is um, a rate attached. We don't ask if there are some funds that they are willing to compensate the person who is going to be providing this service or speaking at the event. We figure, well, if they wanted to pay, they would have said something. So I'm just not even going to ask. And then if you decline and find out that they ended up paying somebody else, now you got hurt feelings, feeling salty about it. When sometimes we just don't ask, you know, if it's not offered, we feel like it's rude to go back and say, what is the compensation for this opportunity or for this labor? Sometimes too, if a fee is offered or some funds are discussed, sometimes we don't negotiate. And I'll even go out on a limb and say, some of us have tried to negotiate or put our foot forward in that way. And maybe we've been burned. Maybe the opportunity was withdrawn or we've heard a horror story of someone else trying to negotiate around an opportunity and the institution, business, company, or entity says, thanks, but no thanks. And so the message we take from that is, I shouldn't have negotiated, as opposed to those people were not perhaps the right audience to work with me and honor my gifts. So shifting our mindset around this whole thing where what we know has value, where we have value, where what we know how to do in the marketplace is worthy of appropriate compensation and really driving the car from the front in terms of allowing ourselves the permission to determine what those rates are in alignment with our financial goals and needs. And if you're an academic, you have a lot of skills and many of us give them away or the experts and the gurus and our mentors in the field tell us that these are just things that we are supposed to do. And I'll list a couple of them, but this is not an exhaustive list of things that most working academics know how to do. And I would say particularly um, women of color academics and Black academic women. We know how to talk about our work. We know how to lead professional development workshops. 
Many of us know how to evaluate applications, whether it's for admissions or for uh, funding. Many of us know how to talk to community groups. We know how to run a meeting, how to run guild meetings, how to run conferences, sometimes how to put them together from scratch. We know how to fix curriculum because sometimes it's got to be done and we're the ones doing it. We know how to mentor and how to give advice. And these are the kind of things that actually on our CVs, particularly if you're at a research-oriented institution, are considered service. It's like they don't even think they count, but we know that it's labor and we know that it's work that we give away. And I'm not saying that you never should give them away. I think there are times when service to our guild or service to our institution is a good thing. And I think if it's an opportunity to learn something new or to develop a new skill or a chance to give back to an organization that gave to you. Um, sometimes you do this kind of service because it's a chance to shape your discipline and that really matters to you. Or it's an opportunity to move your specific discipline forward. Maybe you're in a place where you need to build your CV. And so these can be a chance to build your CV. Or it can be an, an opportunity to network with new people, particularly people who you want to get to know or who you want to know you. And those are some of the reasons why I would say, of course, you, you can do this and should give it away for free. Yes, I like to often remind people, um, I don't know who they think the field is, if it's not those of us who are sometimes willing to step up and do unpaid labor so that there will be journals and conferences and books and projects. Um, I don't know anybody who is swooping in to save our disciplines, you know, so that labor is necessary and we all have to do our part and take our turn to ensure that uh, the bodies of knowledge that we have given years of our lives to continue to thrive and persist um, both in the academy and in the world. That's just a necessary piece of it. At the same time, I think it's really critical that those of you who are thinking about launching your entrepreneurial endeavors at this intersection between your scholarship or your identity in higher ed and your own kind of economic interest, really think about how you're monetizing that work. So here are a few things that might be helpful to think about as you consider pricing. If you are launching a business, let's say, and your entire business is going to be around speaking, right? And I'm thinking classroom visits, for example. Um, often, if you are published and people are teaching your work, you will get requests from faculty to come to their class or Zoom into their class for a classroom visit. Okay, I think of classroom visits as three-digit offerings, right? So we're thinking about dollars and cents now. I would not encourage just about any Black academic woman I know to do a classroom visit for less than a three-digit offering. And I would nuance- Let alone for free. Let alone for free, right? You don't have time to do that for free. And a lot of us do. So I really want to say that. Like, not only is it three digits, it's not zero. It's not zero. And um, those class visits also have nuance, right? So if it's a class visit where you're just being asked to show up and students have been reading your work and you don't have to prepare anything, you're just being asked to show up and respond to student questions and comments, that's a different rate, a lower rate, I would argue, that if you're being asked to come to do a class visit where you're being asked to give a presentation. 
something that you had to prepare or you're being asked to teach students around particular content for that day. They can both be three-digit offerings, but one should definitely be higher than the other. And it's the one for which you have to prepare more fully. If you are being invited to do speaking engagements, and I'm thinking broadly about this, it's a keynote, it's um, some kind of extended panel, it's um, some kind of uh, workshop or presentation, I would suggest that that is a four-digit offering. Okay. Now, where you fall within that four digits might range, depend on what you're being asked to do, but don't do it for below a four-digit offering. Okay. And you're thinking about um, not just the time that it's going to take you to prepare for that, but also the stakes and visibility of the institution that's asking you to come in and do this work. What I might charge an Ivy League institution is going to be different than what I might charge a local nonprofit if they, and even if they're both asking me for keynotes, but they are both four digit offerings, okay? Just in terms of setting a floor for myself. Now, if you're thinking about longer term projects, and this might be everything from maybe you're consulting with an institution for six months around faculty development, maybe you are evaluating policy or developing curriculum. Maybe you are doing um, strategic planning with a department or a program because you've ran a similar successful program on your campus. These longer term projects, and for me, long term is, you know, at least a semester in length and more. It might be, you know, if we're thinking about artists, it might be a residency, some other long-term offering. That's high four digit to low five digit. I mean, anything Five, they digits. need you more than one time, I would say. If they need you for more than a day, I would consider that a long term. Yeah, you want to really think about high four-digit to five-digit offering. High four to five-digit offering for those longer-term projects, okay? And so, again, there's wiggle room in there. It's a important, I think, to embrace that there is no set standard uh, across our industry around how much these things are to cost. It's a mixture of what the market will bear. And also, what are your financial goals? What are your needs? What are your savings goals? That should really dictate what you're charging for things and not necessarily what you see other people doing. Well, so-and-so only charges 32 cents for a classroom visit, so I'm only going to charge 32 cents. Is that in alignment with your financial needs? Well, so-and-so only charged, you know, a nickel and uh, a bus pass to do that work. So I'm only going to ask for a nickel and a bus pass. Does that support what you need? I think about my colleagues who are parents and the money that it costs for them to show up someplace, especially if it's in person. The money and the time that it takes for them to coordinate childcare and to manage all the logistics for them to leave their house to be on somebody else's campus for two or three days? I mean, come on, you can't do that. Most of us are not in a position financially where we can do that just on a whim or just on the strength of a handshake, okay? So when you're thinking about how to set rates, surely it is smart to do some research and look at what other people are charging and to ask the question, but ultimately it has to be about your time 
your financial needs, your economic goals, and how you're leveraging what it is you know how to do in support of those needs, right? We're not just shooting in the dark here. We're monetizing our knowledge for a purpose. And part of that purpose is to help us cultivate the financial stability that we want so that we can live optimally, whatever that looks like for you, and in high alignment with our values. So it all wraps around. It all speaks to each other. You know, this monetizing that we're talking about is not a, you know, a money grab. It's not um, us suggesting that you do something seedy or underhanded. We're really suggesting that you think about what your needs are for savings, for investment, for retirement, for paying off student loans, for caregiving, for a comfortable, safe, stable financial life, and then build your business in alignment with those goals. And, you know, I think it also helps the wider community to respect the knowledge that you have, right? People have often said that people respect things they pay for more than things that they get for free, even if they're only paying, what, $20 versus something that is free. And it helps people widely to respect knowledge, right? To respect the knowledge that we have. I think I've said in other podcasts, like we're not selling green widgets. You can't really wrap your hand around what it is. It's not a golf ball. It's not a piece of property, but it's still valuable, right? It's still an asset. And so I think it helps a wider world to remember that, (laughs) that our knowledge is valuable. And we really want to remind you that you're not exchanging time for money. And we can often think that, well, it's just 30 minutes or you're only going to zoom in for 45 minutes or we only need you here to do this talk for an hour. But what they really mean is you're talking for an hour, but you're meeting with the faculty first and you're having lunch with the students after. Oh, that's a whole nother podcast, I think. But it's not about, okay, well, this is how much time it's going to take to deliver what it is you're going to give. And this is how much money I should do. Like, okay, so I work for $500 an hour. I work for $200 an hour. No, many of us have seen this meme that's made it around. It's a quote from David Green- Davey Greenberg that says, if I do a job in 30 minutes, it's because I spent 10 years learning how to do that in 10 minutes. You owe me for the years, not the minutes, right? I love that because it's this reminder that we're good at what we do, right? Most of us have more information about our field and our pinky when we wake up than the people who we're going to be talking to or working with and usually teaching. That doesn't mean we shouldn't prepare, but it means we really do know what we're doing and we know it because we've been through, we've been through the things. We've taken qualifying exams. We've written a dissertation. We've taken how many hours of classes? We've read how many books and articles in our field? We've done how many hours in the lab? Like, you know what you know because you have put the time in. And so being able to now take these years and years of knowledge and make it understandable, comprehensible, fascinating, and interesting and applicable in a 30 or 45-minute or even five-day period is a big deal. Not everybody can do that. So it's not the 30 minutes. It's what you're bringing to the table and the all the years it took you to bring to the table what you're doing. You also can charge a bit if about who you are. So sometimes it's what you're doing. I would say it's what you're doing more than how long it takes you to do it, but who you are. 
if you have a niche field and you are one of the only people or one of three people who know what you know and who do what you do, then you're the only one who can do what you do. And so you can actually charge a little bit more because if that's what they want, they have to have you. And if they don't have you, that's okay, but they're going to get something else. They're going to get a different talk. They're going to get a different presentation because this is your niche. This is your jam. This is something that you or you're one of three people who do it. And even among those three, y'all three do it differently. So some of us actually really do work in a niche. You know, we often say, I say as someone who's advised numerous dissertations, by the time someone has written a dissertation, you are the expert on this field. Even your committee knows part of it, but you're the only one who knows all of those things put together the way you've put it together. And if there are other people who want to know it, how you know it, then you are the only one they can call. And so it's it's okay to kind of begin to price about that because in some ways that's what celebrities do. I'm not saying we're celebrities, but they price based on who they are, usually a lot more than what it is that they're doing. Right, which is why a celebrity can charge $50,000 for a keynote because they're well known when it's still a 50 minute lecture or it's a 20 minute commencement address. Right. It's so there is a certain sense in which who you are plays a factor in what you're pricing. And that might be because you have celebrity status, or it could be because you are the person who knows the thing that they want to do. And there's probably a pretty high chance to the people who are listening to this podcast that you're that kind of person, that you have a niche in your field, because it's not like there are women of color academics falling off of trees here, right? <laughs> we often are the people who know the part that we know and who know it the way that we know it. So that can also be a factor in what you're charging and how you're thinking about pricing. If you are stuck or you have felt really challenged about this question of monetizing, you have a vision in your mind. You can see yourself. You're standing on the stage giving the keynote in front of thousands of people, or you see yourself consulting in a boardroom with floor to ceiling windows, or whatever it is. You got your entrepreneurial vision. You can see it, but you tend to get tripped up around this question of pricing. And that has really kept you from moving forward or kept you from achieving the financial goals that you really have for yourself. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Start by thinking about what you're already doing that you can monetize. What are you already doing? We're not telling you to go out and build a new product. We're not telling you to go out and buy a bunch of inventory. We're not telling you to come up with the next greatest mousetrap. What do you already do in your job, in your life? What already have you developed an expertise in that you can monetize in the next 90 days? Whether that is sitting down and taking a few days to develop a little fee schedule for yourself. Here's what I'm charging for classroom visits. Here's what I'm charging for keynotes and launching your speaking platform. Letting people know that you're available for the coming year. Okay, Start by thinking about what you're already doing and then think through those monetization levels that we talked about earlier, 
right? Think about those low-level three-digit offerings, those mid-tier four-digit offerings, and those higher-tier high four into five-digit offerings around work that you already know how to do. Come back to this episode, listen to it again, play it with some of your homegirls, sit together and do the work in a community, do the work in a group with a couple of your other friends. You've been talking about this together. I would love to do speaking. I would love to write. I would love to launch this. I want to get together and do this in community. Make it fun. Get out the charcuterie board and the good beverages and really think through all of the things you already know how to do and really start thinking about, okay, how can I begin to attach these pricing levels to what I'm already doing in my life. I'm not going out and building a new skill. I'm not taking more money out of my pocket to pay for another certification. We're not anti-certification over here, but we'd rather you do that once you've made some money in your business to reinvest in yourself, okay? That's a wonderful kind of treat for you when you've started making money in your business and you're living a little bit more comfortably, okay? That's a wonderful investment to make. But start where you are. Use what you have and do what you can, okay? Your business is really only a decision away. The decision you need to make now is how to attach pricing to those skills and competencies that you already have and get started. And I'm going to say this part because I think it's true when you do anything with money and anything with negotiating, and that is that you have to be willing to walk away. Whenever you're negotiating something, whenever you're selling something, somebody might not want to buy it. If you go to Target and you don't want to spend $24.99 on the item, you still don't get the item. You have to leave it there because they're still going to sell it for $24.99, whether you buy it or not. So when you're pricing, that it's possible that, well, I was Zooming into classrooms for free last year, but not this year. And so somebody says, well, I don't have the budget to do it. I can't do your number. And if you really mean this, you have to say, okay, but then I can't zoom in. Because you know what people did before Zoom when they taught your work? They just taught it. <laughs> like For many, many years, people taught the work and still teach the work of people who have who are not living without that person zooming into their classroom. Like it will be fine if you don't zoom into their classroom, they'll still figure out how to teach your work if it's important and relevant and on the syllabus and their students already have it. So I do want to say that when you do this, you have to be willing to walk away and to think about, well, if I'm not doing this, there's something else I could be doing with that time that I would have been zooming, whether it's painting your toenails or working on something else in your business or anything in between. That there's a certain way in which you have to say to yourself, like, I am worth this. And if you aren't able to pay it or you won't pay it, whatever that option might be, that's okay, but I'm I'm not going to do it for less than what my bottom number is. And I would say sometimes people are say, oh, I can't afford to do this. I have been surprised how many people say, one second, let me get back to you. And they go to whoever their higher ups are and find that money, or they find it and ask you next year once they're able to put mine together in a way that might take a longer period of time because they still want you and your voice and your contribution. So I do want to add that, right? That anytime you're working with money, you do have to have a sense in which you someone isn't willing to do what you need them to do. And you say, okay, then we can't work together in this way at this time. Exactly. 
uh, yesterday's price is not today's price. Okay. If you've been around me for any amount of time, you've probably heard me say, look, the price of chicken is going up. And red bell peppers. Okay. Just because I was doing this for free six months ago, doesn't mean that I'm doing it for free now. You always have the right to, to, to change your mind. Remember, part of moving forward in your business is about these decisions that you're going to make for yourself in alignment with your goals for financial stability, security, independence, whatever word in there lights you up. Okay, it's about your financial goals and needs and you're launching this business or monetizing your knowledge um, in an effort to help you do that more successfully and sustainably. I also want to just circle back around to, you know, many of us want to serve the communities that we came from. We do the work we do because we care about the communities that we came from. Um, but often those communities don't have the dollars available or the resources directly to pay us for the knowledge that we have. There are a couple of ways that you might want to think about addressing that. Um, there are some there are some academic entrepreneurs we know who are very committed to doing things in their community throughout the year for free. There are certain groups or organizations that they will never charge. These are groups that were instrumental in raising them or in nurturing them in some way. And they would never charge that community center or that community organization. And we understand that. My rule of thumb is for every free gig or free opportunity that you are offering through your business, you need two paid gigs. At least. At least. To get yourself to your financial bottom line. So we're not saying don't ever do anything free for your community. Don't ever give back. You know, we're not strong capitalists in that way over here at AB3, okay? But for each free opportunity that you are sharing through your business, just make sure that you have at least two paid opportunities to offset that cost. And when okay. you do that, then the more you make in your business, the more you actually can give away right. without being salty about it without being mad about it or without feeling like this is taking something away from you. Right. You'll be able to be even more generous because you'll have enough money on the backhand side to take care of yourself. And that way it's fine for you to give something away for free. You can give away even more because your needs are met. Your needs financially are taken care of. Another way to think about that is if the services that you'd like to launch through your business um, are for a population, maybe it's children, or it's for particular folks in an impoverished area. And you know that those children or parents or whomever don't have the financial resources to sustain and support you at the rates that you've established in your business. That's fine. Maybe they are the audience for your business, but they're not the people who you contract with. See, sometimes we forget that the people who pay us are not necessarily our audience when we're talking about living and working and dealing in this knowledge-based economy. Maybe you contract with organizations or institutions that serve your target population and that organization or institution pays your contract and you're still serving and reaching the people who you want to touch. Or maybe you build a nonprofit structure that allows you to apply for grants and external funding to sustain and support the work you want to do so that you can reach those populations that are at your heart for no charge. So again, there are creative ways to work through this. Don't think that, you know, starting a business keeps you away from those heart-centered, 
values-driven, mission-led goals to serve and give back to community in deep ways. I see that with lots of entrepreneurs, but perhaps most especially with women of color entrepreneurs. And I understand it in a in a deep way, in a visceral, in a heartfelt way, because I was motivated to business for many reasons, but not the least of which to give back to community in ways that resonate with my values. And so along those lines, I would just encourage you not to throw those goals away, but think about how they can be effectively met through you monetizing your knowledge. Well, Taikia, this is the end of season one of AB3 Speaks with Monica and Taikia. Can you believe it? Not really. Not really. Um, Thank you to everyone who has listened to us this season. It's been a real labor of love for us to do this podcast. Um, It's a bright spot in our week. We love recording and sharing this knowledge with you. We hope that it has encouraged you, helped you feel supported and nurtured you towards your own goals. And we can't wait to be back with you for season two. Can't we wait are, with you for season two. We're going to be with you for season two. There will be a season two, y'all. We will be back. So, And with some great conversations with other Black academics who are doing amazing work in the business world. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AB3 Speaks with Monica and Takia. We do this podcast because we want to serve and support Black academic women's entrepreneurial dreams. So subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. We read every one, and this will help others to find the show. If you're looking to take the next step in your career, go to BlackAdemicBrainTrust.com, where you can join our amazing community and get our free resource on the 12 questions you should ask yourself before becoming a Black Academic entrepreneur. Our mission is to nurture your entrepreneurial dreams within and beyond the academy and build a business that both sustains and offers you freedom. We look forward to you finding and joining us at blackademicbraintrust.com. Because we want you to win.